Hello and welcome to your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lesra, and I am joined by my, my buddies, Kian Sobani, as usual. Hey, Kian, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Well, and we're all, we also have uh, Omar Vin on the line. Um, so, guys, we're talking um, Real Madrid 2, Betis, Real Betis, Balompié 1. Um, really intriguing game today. I think we have a lot to talk about in terms of what actually, literally what happened in the game. So I, I think just getting some of the talking points going at, you know, right out of the uh, out of the gate, I think is is worth addressing. Obviously, uh, Madrid rolling out a really unconventional lineup. Solari, his first game, I think, ever of seeing a real experiment against this um, high pressing, possession oriented Betis side. And I mean, it's an interesting choice, and the game went pretty well. I mean, Kian, you um, I think some comments on the actual composition of the lineup itself. Sorry, say that again. You broke up for a second. It? I was, uh, I, yeah, I was, um, I was like, you had some, um, you were making some interesting points, I think, before the game when the lineup came out that it was a uh, 3 5 2 or a 5 3 2 um, kind of uh, uh, a lineup with um, Carvajal and uh, Reg- Regulon. No, Regulon. Sorry, Regulon. I've actually Regulon. found out recently that I was pronouncing that wrong. Well, like a million last. people always I, thought there was an extra I in there after the yeah. L. So, so it's, it's not clear. Why like why I did think that, but I I did so I I'm working on changing Regulon. Yeah, you're um, on the right path. as as wingbacks. Um, what did you make of that? I mean, like that's an interesting decision from Solari. I liked it. I I mean, it's not like it's not something I would have thought of, and I think it all caught us caught us all off guard because it's something that Solari's never tried. Even like going back to his Cassia days, he's never actually one of our patrons, Christopher McCormick, pointed that out. Um, but he's never actually used it in his Castilla days. And um, so it was a surprise. And what I will say is that I've I've always been a fan of the 3-5-2. I've liked it like when Pete Conte was using it. I've, you know, Pep's used it in like in variations with like a 3-4-3 kind of thing. Um, Real Madrid has used it but never well. <laughs> and, but I've always believed in it. Um, but, I was very skeptical on how Solari would use it today. I think everyone, a lot of people complain about the lack of possession in the first half. I was fine with it. I thought, like, going up, first of all, um, one way of looking at it is, is you know, this is Real Madrid. We should, we should dominate. We should put our foot on the pedal. We should be the ones dictating the style of play. We should be the ones playing game in, game out with the same identity. I get that. Um, first of all, we don't really have an identity right now. And second of all, there's a, there are so many injuries. And if you were to kind of adjust it and play with it, in a game like this, it kind of makes sense because this is a Real Betis team who, by the way, are, are a bit overrated if you ask me because their win in the Camp Nou skewed, skewed our perception of them a little bit. If you haven't watched them and you watched that game against Barca and then you saw the Kike Setien praise, but they're a team that have had a lot of possession this season but have struggled to create in the final third. This is like the Lopetegui. Everything that people complain about Lopetegui this season with Real Madrid, that's been Betis this season. And they they went gung-ho and played really beautifully against Barca, but they had space to do so where most La Liga teams wouldn't give them space. So theoretically, to me, it made sense that... We had basically a back three, and then Regulon and Carvajal gave us width, and then Fede Valverde, fantastic coverage on the left. Then you had Modric and Casemiro, mostly in the right, but mostly Modric helping out, and Varane coming over that helped Carvajal. And 
so like there was a lot of defensive security. I thought like apart from like a first the first couple of minutes where like the midfield was getting bypassed, it, it looked good defensively. My biggest concern was the offense. And I gotta say, like to me, like I thought Vinicius Jr. has looked good the last few games. This game in particular, like to me was like his like almost his coming out party because Without him, offensively, Real Madrid were nothing. Like, Benzema, I thought, had a good first half and, like, just aiding the counterattacks. But Vinicius, like, his everything he did, he won the ball back three times deep in his own half. So, first of all, he put in his, like, good defensive shift without the ball. But just, like, his his ability to just create space, like, it's really surprised me. I didn't think, I honestly didn't think he would develop this quickly. And maybe I should pump the brakes a little bit, but I, you know, if it wasn't for his offense, I'd be really worried. And then the second half, we'll get to it. But my biggest concern with with Solari was like, in the second half, once they conceded that goal, they really their structure completely fell apart, which we'll get into. But you know, yeah. I was fine with the formation. I liked the formation. Skeptical of how Solari was going to use it, but I thought the first half was looked fine. In the first half, I mean, we had Ohm, I think you were you were saying at one point that this is one of Solari's best halves of football. I, I found that it's I thought it was an interesting point, and I, I could you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, from a tactical perspective, in my opinion, it was the best quite clearly because um, I felt like this is the this was a time where we saw the highest correlation between Solari's tactics and the performance on the pitch. I felt like. What we were seeing were all things Solari intended. So um, I mentioned this before. I haven't mentioned as much in previous podcasts um, because, you know, it wasn't really a feature of our games. But whenever we've decided to high press under Solari, it's looked good. Mm. That's the only good thing that only good tactical thing that Solari has done. But it was so important for this game, especially in the first half, because I think our high pressing define that game and ended up actually controlling the first half, even though Betis had most of the ball. So it was, um, bear with me here, it was a bit of a, like, hard to describe high press because of how kind of fluid it was. And you're going to have to, like, try to visualize um, what Betis' build-up looks like coming from the back. So they were in a 4-3-3. They had the two center backs splitting wide they had the fullbacks ahead of them they had William Carvalho dropping in between the center backs and they had you know five men kind of between the lines and higher up the field so that would be the two central midfielders and the three attackers so obviously our back three matches matched up man-to-man against their three attackers um our wing backs matched up man-to-man versus their fullbacks but then after that it got kind of conditional so um in general like Vinicius would be the guy who is guarding the passing lane to William Carvalho, Betis' defensive midfielder. And Benzema, in general, would be pressing Mandi, who's Betis' um, right center back. And that left Modric having to step up from midfield to press Bartra, who's Betis' best player on the ball and playing out from the back. And then Casemiro would kind of shift over onto Guardado and Valverde would be on Boselso. I mean, it wasn't always like that. There were occasions where Benzema would, would change things up because he had the freedom to like make different decisions. Like He'd go and press Bartra and you know Modric would stay in midfield. Um, we saw in the seventh minute when Benzema dispossessed him and created a really dangerous opportunity. But that kind of freedom, it wasn't like out of place. It didn't give me the sense that it was indisciplined. There was a structure, and within that structure, Modric and Benzema were making intelligent decisions. So it was really well drilled. 
Betis couldn't get out of their half most of the time. And when they did, you know, there were really, really difficult options to, you know, to play the ball into. Our, our defenders did really well. So for the first half, that's why I think we outshot them 10-3 or something like that. And I, it's good. Like, I mean, if I'm going to criticize Solari as I have in the past couple games, I have to give him credit for that high press. And I, I mean, I, I think to a certain extent, we're lucky that Setien, you know, made a big mistake this game in that after the loss to Huesca, I, I was talking to a Real Betis supporter at halftime and after the game, he told me that in his opinion, Setien overreacted to the Huesca loss and moved away from the back three um, when, when they played Sociedad in the Copa del Rey, which was the game before this, and he moved to a 4-3-3. I mean, Betis drew in that game wasn't anything spectacular, but Setien decided he wanted to stay with the 4-3-3 this game, and I think that hurt him because, one, Betis look best against opposition presses when they have three defenders at the back because it just makes sense, right? You have more stability. You you better overload whoever's coming to press you. It just works better that way, and Bartra kind of thrives in that role in the center. And mm-hmm. secondly, it helps... It provides security against the counterattack, right? If you're going right. to flood forward the way Betis does, you need extra security, which Betis really lacked and Vinicius tore them apart. So I think to a certain extent, we got lucky that Setien decided to go with the back four, which, you know, it's arguable. I don't really think it suits him. A lot of Betis fans agree that it doesn't really suit Betis, and it definitely didn't suit him and the team this game. And at halftime, Setien decided, decided not to change that either. Um, the second half's a different story. We'll get into that. But the first half, really solid we we really only had one thing to do and we executed it really well and that created turnovers and then the brilliance of Vinicius and Benzema ended up creating the goal on the counter-attack um so I was going to mention like one of the interesting things about um Setien's Betis though and this is one of the one of the interesting things about why this and and for people who under like I think understandably are a little annoyed at the way Real Madrid looked because I mean they really did get out possessed in this match but this is a this at least in the first half this is a match that was very classically one of these matches where you can see exactly why possession just for possession and just by itself is actually not a a statistic that really should matter because this is a game where despite not having control of the ball, Madrid had control of the game and it's a very different feeling. And, and, and it's something that you, you understand when, you know, at, at one point, I think in minute like 40, Betis had only had one shot on goal, despite having something like 60% possession. And that's itself is, is a mark of this type of match. Now, well, I think one of the things that we, we saw from Solari, at least in that half that, that Ohm you were hitting on was that he was able and I think the first time we'd ever seen this, he was able to look at the opposition and design a tactical scheme that fit the match that he was playing and then execute that, or at least have his players execute the most minimal uh, version of that. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons that we talked about him not being a good coach. And I stand, I still don't think he's a good coach, but you know, is, is that he didn't has seemed to be very rigid and unable to adapt to the opposition and also didn't seem to have a nuanced understanding of tactics. And this, I think... Uh, shows that he is learning and developing and has the ability to and and is willing to experiment and have the ability to uh, to try out new things because uh, you know without that ability, there's no way he was going to make it even through the end of the season at Madrid. Now, if he can continue to execute you know smart and nuanced tactical schemes where he actually tells the sees what the other opposition is going to do and then tells his players how to how to counter it, that 
that's basically enough when you have a team this good. It's going to get you, you know, it's going to get you enough to be in the top three or four uh, and uh, give you a punching shot in some of the other competitions. I mean, right. that's really, and that's really all Madrid needs for this season. Well, keep in mind, right. like this, the, this game against Betis, it's, it's a, now I, I'm going back based on memory now, but I didn't we lose to them the last two times we played them because we lost. Can't remember, but I, I remember we lost them at the Bernabeu last season. Then we lost to them. Then we beat them five uh, three. Oh, yeah, that we beat one. them five yeah. three away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So and that. So I think like <clears throat> when when Gabe was talking about like you know possessions and everything and stuff and and all that, it really like I. Obviously, I couldn't agree more, but I would also say that there were really time. Like you go back, a lot of people like had this feeling that Betis dominated. Like if you look at their xG, it was it was under point seven, and yeah, they yeah. didn't really do much all game. Like and I, and I know Ramage didn't do much offensively either. But like the fact that we limited them to so little. I remember there was a sequence in, like the fiftieth minute when I was looking, and that at that point I think Betis had like literally two shots on goal. And I was just looking at them trying to circulate possession and find an opening. And the, the, what the, the 3-5-2 gave us defensively, they would like just try to switch and keep going back and forth, cycling possession. They would go to the right, and Carvajal was there. They'd have an overload. Varane was there. And then someone else would come and get into the half space. Modric was there. There was so much coverage all over the pitch until they basically capitulated Like when, when Betty scored. like, But it it was really hard for them to break through. I, I I would give Solari credit for that. I I would, and um, you know, amid like he has so many injuries right now to deal with, which is another thing to consider. Um, like you, I was looking at what Betis had there offensively. Like Los Celso was having a great game. He's having a great season. Um, Guardado is like a very reliable player. Joaquin had seven completed dribbles. It really felt he had like sixty, but I went I went back checked the stats. It was seven. Um. I, and then I was looking at Real just up and I was like, you know what? On paper, I think Betis is better at this very moment where it was like Modric and like Cristo on the field at one point um, with Vinicius and like there was nothing in attack and, and there was a huge drop off from Benzema to Cristo. So my my concern about this, and it has it's not really a concern to the 3-5-2, but just Solari in general is he really needs to figure out how to build from the back because he they haven't looked good facing presses. And for all that Real Madrid limited Betis too, um, when Betis really, like we can talk about our high press, but like when Betis really kicked it into gear with their counter press, especially in the second half where it peaked, mm-hmm. Real Madrid just could not escape the final third. And I kept on looking at the bench and Isco and Marcelo were there. And I had the feeling like Marcelo wouldn't play because this was more like a scheduled rest thing for him, I think. But I was like, man, both of those players, regardless of the result, win, lose, draw, they would help so much in the situation. They're both press resistant and they can both punish Betis on the counter. And it just looked like helpless and like they, Solari needs to figure that part out of the of his game because Real Madrid just haven't looked in that, good in that department. Yeah, I right. totally agree. So I think I think we can talk about the second half now. I just want to quickly talk about the five three two slash three five two formation a little bit. So, Keon, you were talking about how Betis couldn't create anything, and that's why I think the the five at the back, three at the back, whatever you want to call it, was a good decision in this game because the way um, Betis likes to play and the way positional play teams like to play, 
um, is is oftentimes from a four three three in attack, it's going to look like a two three five, with the five attackers, um, you know the playing against the back four generally. So the, essentially, like the objective of positional play when you're playing in a four three three is to outnumber the back four and to outnumber the strikers in build up. And so generally, you go against a four four two defensively, so you outnumber the two strikers, three versus two, and then you outnumber the back four, five versus four, because you have the striker in the middle, the two wingers in the half spaces, and the full backs out wide. But in a back five, you're able to match you know, the the opposition's attack numerically, and that gave Betis a lot of trouble. And even if you know the opposition is playing really well, it's just tough to break down a back five. Pep Guardiola said it himself. Um, in the summer when he was asked, you know, what is it that City need to improve when they when they scored 100 points um, or won 100 points? Sorry. He said, we, we we struggle to break down a 5-4-1 because naturally it just matches up really well against what we're doing. So I think that, that was a good matchup for this game. I would be cautious, though, as I saw many doing when we scored our first goal, saying that the 5-3-2 is the formation we need moving forward because I think... It worked really well in specific conditions this game that we're not going to see for a lot of other games. And in this game, it was us thriving off high turnovers and a lot of transition attacks. And most of the time, we're going to have the ball. You know, in the future, we're going to get all our wingers back. I don't know if it's necessarily the formation we need going forward, um, but it was definitely the right one today. As to the second half, um, like Keon said, um, the counter press got better and when when we couple that with Benzema going off, we had absolutely nothing going forward. And I think that was the impression people got when they said Betis was dominating, simply because even though they were only creating half chances at best, we weren't seeing any of the ball. We were we were outshot nine to four in the yeah. second half. And it was like and, this like sustained pressure that gave off this feeling that I mean and, and to be honest, it was a mess from us, I think like in the second half, but Right. And I, I think I don't know if we're ever going to be able to build out of a counter press or press effectively under Stellari. We've just seen multiple occasions now where it's just looked it's looked awful. Whereas for the high press, I think to some people this might be a surprise, right? But if you go back and look at all the other instances we pressed high under Solari, it's been pretty good. So I think it was a surprise that, you know, Betis capitulated to the high press the way they did in the first half, but the fact that the high press was successful that wasn't surprising to me and it isn't surprising to me that we couldn't deal with the counter press in the second half now where it all started to go south um you know because even after the first goal it was like okay you know it was a really good piece of play but you know we can still do this it went south when Solari reacted by the formation change like like you said Keon you looked at Marcelo on the bench I would have just brought him on for Reguilon and maybe just press more aggressively on our own half to force turnovers. And so that way we keep that defensive width and we spark more counterattacks. However, when we went to a 4-3-3, it seemed like the players didn't understand how they were going to adapt their pressing scheme to that new formation. Yeah. So that fell apart. And then we lost all our defensive width. And Betis just like way more than they had in the previous how many ever minutes, which were which were way more than, than than what was our time in the 4-3-3, they just flooded toward the wings and started putting crosses in. And that's when I started to feel scared. You know, it went end-to-end. Casemiro wins that foul. Ceballos scores the free kick. I think a 1-1 draw would have been fairer, but it was just an unnecessarily chaotic end to the game. And I think Solari kind of undid his good work with that change he made. 
that um, I would, sorry Gabe go ahead no I, I don't have much to add I think oh that's a really good um, analysis I don't really have much to add other than to say that I do think that um, and I think Om, you mentioned it. I don't remember um, if we were DMing about it or whatever, but uh, Benzema was the offensive uh, key in this match. I mean, Vinicius was the, you know, was the battering ram. He was the, uh, you know, without him, Real Madrid create nothing at all. But we also saw that without Benzema, when he came off, you know, he, he had an incredibly strong first half where he was the, um, uh, a grease in the gear, so to speak, where he really did make the movements happen. And, and Madrid, which was relying so much on a counterattack, got back to a little bit of what Benzema is actually really good at, which is firing off a counterattack. Uh, he he actually plays this this role, and one of the reasons he's he he he's such a perfect counterpart in that BBC with Ronaldo and Bale was that playing in the center, he was very good at receiving a ball in the middle of the pitch, high up, and then freeing send a freeing pass down the wing to one of the sprinting wingers uh and we saw that in spades today in the first half when he was just freeing vinicius at all angles and uh it, when he came off that that totally you know evaporated from madrid so you know it, it, part of the reason i thought that the second half looked at least the beginning looked as bad as it did for madrid uh was that benzema wasn't on the pitch today or wasn't on the pitch in that half yeah I mean, there the, yeah. the was a clear regression, I think. Because, like, you, there was a moment in the second half which really caught my eye. I was like, wow, like, where Cristo gets the ball and he's on a break. And all he has to do is just play this pass out wide to Vinicius. And he waits and he waits and Vinicius is waiting and waiting. And then Cristo just gets dispossessed. I'm like, just pass the ball. Like, it's like he had so much time to do it. And that's like, <laughs> Those little things like Benzema would have just zipped it there really quickly. Um, I did want to go back to something that Om, Om was talking about, and I don't remember what it was. I I'll, I have a little like something to say about Benzema, so maybe you'll remember it yeah. um, when I'm saying. But go for it. Like I, and we try to strike this nuance all the time, and people just don't seem to get it because Benzema is such a polarizing figure. But I'm gonna try again because all three of us over and over again, has said we need a new star striker. That's not in question. You know, we've all agreed that Benzema's declining. That's not in question. But that doesn't mean he's like a useless bum who who can't perform anymore, who's still not a class player. Because as we saw today, he still can perform. Like, it, he doesn't score as many goals as we'd like to, but that doesn't mean he's suddenly horrible and that, like, we need to hate him and that he can't contribute anything useful. Today... He put in a pressing clinic. You know, I, I mentioned how he had freedom to make decisions to press. Like, you can't just do that to any player. You just give that to a, to, to an, even a world-class striker who's not that smart defensively, and it could all fall apart. Because, you know, if if you go back and look at the way our press stacks up against Betis's build-up, it doesn't match up numerically exactly. We have to make adjustments with Modric stepping out. And that's very fluid. And Benzema has to make all kinds of decisions within split seconds that not only puts himself in a good situation to pressure the ball, but keeps the entire structure intact. And whenever we decided to press in an organized manner, he didn't make a single mistake. And he had a couple of dispositions as well. I, how many strikers in the world can do that? Not many. I, I, I think Mansukic off the top of my head, I can't think of that many more. Maybe Luis Suarez. <laughs> 
And then you have, like Gabe was talking about, the way he was so instrumental in constructing our counterattack. So I think we can acknowledge this and we should acknowledge performances like this and acknowledge that, yeah, he's still a good player. He can still contribute while at the same time holding the fact that we need a new star striker. I don't see why this is so hard to say and so hard to think, but so many people either want to say, and it's mostly saying that he sucks, but most people either want to say that he's he's amazing, he's still the same player he was, or he's just horrible, and I just never want to see his face again. I, I don't understand why it can't be, yeah, he's declined, but let's show him some respect because... You know, you know what? Not only because he put in a good performance, I'd say he's been our best attacker under Solari this season. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to us and like most people who listen to this podcast, like what Benzema is. Like, I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm kind of starting to just learn to just tune out what Twitter is and the, the noise we hear from from there because it's reactionary. It's, it's, it's very much focused on recency bias or failing to look at things objectively because of blind love for ex player, ex ex coach, or whatever. Um, the I want on when you were talking about like kind of the, the second half and 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 the changes and how Casemiro won the free kick at the end. I think that the biggest concern to me was the first of all like the way those changes happened, like when Regulon came off and Nacho got shifted to the left, and things were like the tactics were shifting mid game, like at a time where like Betis were going at waves of attack and that like like you said i think it just confused the whole team because it was so bizarre that you went from having this like very solid structure defensively to like literally the next play you're facing like three counterattacks with like two people defending <laughs> in transition it was so bizarre like the the polar like extremes of like within like 2 minutes like how the team just like looked lost and if 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 Ceballos doesn't score that free kick, like man, it's amazing how much the narrative of what right. we talked about would change. And it was so close. Like I, so I was going wild during that free kick goal. I was like, oh my god, like this is God is clearly Madrid. So this is what a story. <laughs> Danny Ceballos going back to his home, her home stadium. People booing him. He scores like this. Like. I didn't actually watch the free kick like hours later. I, I came home from dinner. I was like, I'm going to watch that. And I, I was shocked <laughs> at how bad the wall was. I was shocked at you know pa- what? Paul Lopez's I have, positioning. I have, <laughs> I, have some thoughts. I have some thoughts on that. I'm pretty sure that actually that was a design play. Uh, Please and go that ahead. Madrid go players getting in the wall. Yeah, that and part I got. inward drew the keeper to that side to the side that they were collapsing towards despite making a, a shooting window on the right side so the keeper flinched Ceballos so smashed the ball to that direction keeper was already gone oh, that's uh, a good point that's a good and point and my instinct when i saw that on replay i was like oh that was that was that was intentional that was hmm. that was a design play Interesting. where you saw every real madrid player at the same time dive to one side including making contact with people in the wall. You saw that because of that, you saw the Betis player who was next to a couple of them move to the, uh, move to that side, creating an even bigger uh, shooting window, but also obstructing the keeper more because the keeper was actually more behind the wall than guarding that side. Uh, and it was bad keeper positioning actually, but because the keeper didn't know what was going on, he was on his wrong foot, and the ball was already past him. I mean, I thought it was a, I thought it was a well designed play, 
It may have been just a, t- a number of bad people doing bad, dumb stuff, though. It's also possible. <laughs> no, I, I think your explanation makes sense. I think I think that doesn't necessarily excuse like the keeper just completely like botching like you know which way he was going. But I think I think our position, like you mentioned, aided that, and I think that explains why the wall was a mess. I think the wall being a mess was definitely our doing. I mean, we've seen variations of this before, right? Like as Ronaldo's free kick taking ability decline we started to see more and more guys trying to split a hole in the wall because ronaldo yeah. would just try to fire a shot through the wall and that's how he ended up scoring a lot of his um free kicks in his later seasons um so i mean i i totally buy that uh so let's discuss a little bit about some of the other players maybe who didn't play as well i think that there was a big standout for me who really just seemed off the pace and that was Casemiro for the yeah. second game Game in a row, I I just have not been was not impressed by him. I get the sense that he's not all the way back from his injury. I mean, whatever it is, he he just didn't seem to be a single part of his game that he was doing particularly well in, um, other than maybe his positioning. But it, it just him, felt like him, he was going to lose the ball every time he touched it. That he he was like a step behind on all his tackles. Like I, I was I was just praying that whole game that he wasn't gonna that he wouldn't get a a, a penalty, give up a penalty in the box. Like I thought yes. he was very bad. So I think I've seen enough um, situations seen like enough. this where Casemiro. <laughs> seen enough of Casemiro. <laughs> um, I that that's actually a really good audio soundbite to just like take out of context and um, post online. I, I mean, now I gave you guys ideas, but I think I've seen enough of these type of situations where Casemiro gets injured. <laughs> And, and then comes back and starts to work his way into the team where I can confidently say now that he's a player that really takes his time and really struggles to get back into full form when he comes back from injury. This is not the first time. The middle yeah. of the 2016-17 season stands out a lot for me. Like I remember like a run of just six, seven games, Dortmund in the Champions League being one of them where I mean he was just all over the place. His press resistance was worse than usual. He, his, his defending wasn't even that great. I mean, this is, I just think, how Casemiro is. He just takes a while to come back. And in that intermediary process, it just looks really rough. Um, I think, I, I'm glad that he did have, like, a positive contribution when he won that foul, because otherwise, I kind of yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't have much positive to say about him this Yeah, game. that run at the end to get the foul leading that led up to Ceballos' goal was really brilliant. And so there is something you can take away from it, but... You know, I would hope that he keeps improving his performances going forward because this is not 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 one of his highlights. I, I thought someone who did, I think, play a pretty good game, who was exciting to see, is uh, getting his first start. Fede Valverde, I thought, played an interesting role. Um, not always, you know, obvious where he was, but I think when he was called upon, he was good, and I was excited to see him getting getting all ninety. Yeah, I've been impressed with Fede this season in general. I think like. I, I, he kind of has like this box to box nature about him where he can, you can, you know, one on one sequence you'll see him covering for the fullback, on the other, another sequence he's pressing high. Um, he's playing quick. What I like about him also, too, he, he knows where the ball is going like immediately and he gets it there yeah. like, with like without complicating things too much and always puts in, like, I know this is really cliche, but always puts in the shift. Like, you, you know, like what you're getting from him in, in, in in the sense of like his work rate, I think his yeah. passing can improve a little bit. Both this yeah. game and and against Sociedad, he had uh, a couple kind of bad giveaways. But overall, like I will say, like um, 
maybe it was against Leganes. I'm thinking not Sociedad. I don't know. I don't remember if he played against Sociedad, but um, that in the first half when there's that counterattack and Vinicius plays that just perfect surgical, almost diagonal crossfield pass to Valverde who gets a break on goal. I understand what he was trying to do and um, everyone on Twitter compared it to the Guti kind of assisted Depor where he backheeled it. Oh, but yeah. man, if he just pulls the trigger. Just he, shoot the ball. That, that's 2-0 going into halftime. It's a huge yeah, difference. Totally different game. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was really, that Fede counterattack was our actually, I'd say our only high quality, um, what would have been our only high quality shot of the game. Because that moderate goal was outside the box deflected a little bit. If you look at our XG... I don't even think that more... one shows up on XG, does it? It's like a... Oh, I no. try to look Fede's, for it. Fede's doesn't because he didn't shoot. But right. there are non-shot models. Like I, I mean, I don't have <clears> access <throat> to them. But I'm fairly certain that if he shot from that position, it would have been like 0.4 at least, which is, which yeah. is quite high. Um, because otherwise, the highest was 0.11... Um, was when like Vinicius got onto that cutback on the counterattack and played it straight to the keeper. Like our total XG via understat for the game was 0.74, and that was just from the aggregate of a lot of low to slash medium quality chances. Um, but yeah, I I agree with everything you said about Fede, um, Kian, and really I'm just quite surprised at how game ready he looks because if I'm not wrong, he just hasn't gotten that many minutes. You know, if you take into account last season as well, like his loan spell just it just wasn't that great. Like he was played out of position a lot, he's played on the wing. And, you know, whatever minutes he's gotten this season, he's looked mature, he's looked confident aside from a couple giveaways. Like I, I just automatically feel like I trust him when he gets on the ball in a tough situation. And I only get that feeling from like Kroos, Modric, Kovacic, not even Ceballos that much. So I'm just I'm just impressed just with, you know, the little things he's doing because he's doing it at a very high level with with what looks like a not a lot of preparation time. I wanted to also talk a little bit about um I mean I think it's worth just devoting some some more minutes to talking about Vinicius who was just tremendous today. Um didn't bag a goal but I think I think we can comfortably say that without him Madrid don't get this result. I mean he one of the things that was amazing to me, guys, is and, and it's something that I, I had only seen flashes of, but I thought he really put together a really complete game when it came to the circulating of the ball and creating chances for other people uh, with his passing. Like that 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 pass to Fetty, I mean, that he opened up in that run of play, it was incredible, and he was always looking to make these good incisive passes. And I was I was really impressed by by that particular element of his of his game today. Yeah, and if, even if you go back to Modric's goal, it was Vinicius who started it because he's on the flank, and he he turns and he kind of he just passes it up the flank right. and then runs and gets it. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if he gets it back at that point, but he he basically no Benzema dribbles it up and shoots it right. And and then there were like even even in the first half there were. There were t- there was it was twice where he won the ball. He just ran back, dispossessed about this player, and and also just started a counter. So I think like if he has like any kind of help, or if like Benzema is in the second half, this is totally different. And I was and I was just thinking about it. I was like playing it out in my head, looking at the lineup. If you had one extra counterattacking threat who can also defend like a bail in the, in the in a game like this, it would it would be even like 
because there were large stretches the second half where Betis almost weren't bothered like on the counterattack. They like, they weren't worried at all when like Cristo would pick up the ball. Um, <laughs> if Vinicius had like someone else that he could play with, it would have it would have been you know it would have been more of a sure thing, I think. Uh, but he's been phenomenal. I've I've been really impressed with him. I I I've always known he was talented. Um, to be honest, his decision making with Castilla was shocking. I think he, even in this season with Real Madrid, even the past few games, like it hasn't been great. But then you can see the damage he can do, and I will say, like his decision making has is getting even better. I'd say I, I I'm really I'm pleasantly surprised at how quickly he's developing. I think he's like throwing him into the fire. Maybe it kind of just brings it out of him naturally. I don't know, but it's I like what I see. Yeah, I. I would. I, I just want to talk about his defensive performance a little bit because that was what impressed me the most. Even though what was more impactful was his offensive performance, and I say that because I just didn't know he had this, you know, the defensive IQ in him because not many eighteen-year-olds do. Like, I, I wasn't that surprised to see his exuberance because, like, y- young teenagers coming to play for Real Madrid. I mean, it's just going to be there. Like, you're you're going to want to do everything and give it your all, um, but. It was more than that. Like he was making some smart defensive plays because he was a key part in that pressing scheme as well. Kian, you mentioned he made a couple of dispossessions. I think all of those were on William Carvalho, and all of those were huh. backwards pressing actions. So there were moments, right? Because we didn't match up numerically against um, Betis's back line, where Carvalho would be the free man, and. Carvalho would turn around and think he'd have space going forward. And the second Carvalho, go back and look at this again. The second Carvalho's head turns, Vinicius is on to him, attacking him from the blind side. And it's a clean little tackle to take the ball away from him and, you know, be off in the other direction in one movement. And I th- I know he did that twice. He, mu- he might have done it three times. In addition to that, he also had to find a way to guard the passing lane into William Carvalho you know, without making it easy to pass to the center back that he was leaving aside. Like, he would all, he, he would he would sometimes have to abandon Carvalho and press a little bit, you know, just to keep that threat there. So I, I think while Benzema had the bigger job when it came to that, Vinicius also had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and he made very few mistakes. He was making a lot of intelligent decisions in a complex pressing scheme up top, and I'm, I'm really impressed with that. Uh. I think that is a, I mean, it is a fascinating addition to his repertoire. And one thing that I think we should just all admit is that we were a little bit perhaps lower on him than, than he's, he's shown so far that he's shown elements to his game that I frankly didn't know he had uh, coming into this season. And I think it's a real, I mean, it's, it, he is going to arrive sooner than I think, I I think some of us thought just based on what we've seen so far. I don't think you guys were. I, I think I was the the one who was most conservative about Vinicius, um, mainly because of like the decision making issues we talked about, but also like I'm just really nervous that when he doesn't perform, like because you know we were all kind of saying this about Asensio, and Asensio was really far more polished, and he hasn't been good this season. Now everyone is just convinced he's an awful garbage player, and really I'm just trying to be really conscious about the fact that like I. I I just don't want to hype this guy up too much because I know yeah, yeah, yeah. being how young he is. No, I, I what I'm saying is that in our initial analysis is what I'm saying is that right, I right. never never considered that he would be able to come in and and execute a defensive game plan at all. Really, 
right? I'm saying like it came from the reason, part of the reason for why I was being so conservative wasn't wholly objective, right? It's kind of the agenda of like trying to protect Phoenicians with whatever influence I have because the there's coming a time, especially at his age, where he's going to go through a run of bad games, and I, I just feel like he's going to be eaten alive. But I think the evidence yeah. is so strong that, you know, he can contribute this season. It, it would it would just be dishonest to not acknowledge it, whether, you know, that's going to create too much hype or not, yeah. I don't know. But Well, yeah, people should chill out about him a little bit, but be excited, and people should chill out about hating on Asensio. Like, calm down. They're both really young. Like they're gonna they they're gonna improve in fits and starts and you know Asensio looked like a world beater but he come you know regresses a little bit and suddenly he's garbage no he he is an elite talent and he's gonna improve at at the rate that elite talent tends to improve it's but it, that that is rarely a straight line. <laughs> um, the last person I wanted to bring up. Um, Luka Modric, I thought strong uh, yeah. game, beautiful goal. Um, one of his better the matches of the season for me. Uh, really an important cog throughout the game. Yeah, he's he's looking kind of like Modric in the past. I'd say like that game against Valencia, that first half was good. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was good. I thought he was pulling strings, right? Because like you had when. First of all, it wasn't just that he was pulling strings. That's almost like unfair to say because he was. That second half, the amount of coverage he did for Carvajal on the right was crazy. It was like back to like having flashbacks <laughs> of right back Modric trying to see the hand. He did a lot of defensive work, covered yep. a lot of ground. Um, the goal was brilliant too. Was. He, he took it really uh, well. And a great goal from Danny Ceballos. I mean, I, I guess we can't go through this game without mentioning the uh, comes back to Betis. Um, you know that fighting spirit of a player who who left. They were booing him lustily. Uh, very. I mean, he is that type of guy, Kian. That when he first came to Madrid, you were talking about how he's like this, this go to war guy, like the type of person that you want to go to war with. And that yeah. I think was his mentality today. It was I good thought, to see, and glad I, he got some minutes. I I liked how he just he had the the ice cold veins to to step up to that free kick because he was talking about it after the game. How him and Ramos mm-hmm. talked about it. He's like, you know what? This is my old ground. I I need to take this. Yeah. And like I'm. I'm glad he had the balls to do it. Like it yeah, and I'm it, glad that, Ramos that, fucked off and let him do it. <laughs> well, Ramos, Ramos also said, I think, in that interview that he, he told Ceballos that, that he was going to score. It's like kind of like the Navas, you know, in, in the Wolfsburg comeback where Navas told Ronaldo he was going to score. So I think Ramos just kind of recognized that, like, you know, th- this it was just meant to be, uh, mm. which, is, which is what I want to see from my captain, especially because I think Ramos... I, I thought when Ronaldo left, we would have more freedom about like who takes penalties and free kicks and stuff. But Ramos has generally been rather possessive about that. But I'm glad he stepped aside, like you said, Gabe, because I, I think he was just smart enough to recognize that Ceballos just, you know, he was feeling it in that moment. And, and, and in a, in a match where like that was going to be our last chance to win it, you you gotta you gotta go with your gut. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he had a great and he had a great game while he was out there too. He he showed he showed a lot to me and and should I hope reminded everyone why we're all everyone's been so high on him. He was a he was great. He was everywhere. Um I thought and and also just really dangerous whenever he had the ball. Really I'm a huge fan of his. So um all right, let's jump into questions if that's all right. Um as everyone knows, uh 
patreon.com slash managing Madrid. You can subscribe to us. Uh, if you uh, toss us a couple dollars a month, uh, $3, you can get access to all our uh, uh, midday and patron only content. We have a ton of it. It's really great. Um, $5 a month and up um, increasing rewards, but $5 a month gets you a guaranteed answer on every show. We promise that we will answer one of your questions on every show if you ask it of us. Uh, and uh, $10 and up, you get a shout out and uh, you get, uh, 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 and then at higher levels, we got a couple other things, including at $15, you get entered into every drawing that we have of. Uh, different Real Madrid gear that we get donated. We have signed jerseys that we give away. We have tickets occasionally. Um, and uh, that is that may go up if we have very special items. But if you get in at fifteen dollars now, um, you will not have to you will not have to to pay the higher price to get in on those. So that is one reason to get at fifteen dollars. And there are other rewards all the way up to uh, uh, you know paying us to write an article for you. Uh, as Keon has done some great writing on that. Um, and all the way up to, if you want to sponsor the show, we are happy to discuss that. <laughs> uh, all right. So our first question from, comes in from one of our patrons. Uh, Zoran Bosancic asks us, uh, the first half was okay. Quite possibly the best from what we've seen from Solari, even though it reminded me a little bit of the Mourinho era. In the second, we lost our grip. I think that's a lot to the fact that Solari waited too long with the subs. I think he should have taken out Fede or Casemiro sooner, before we conceded, for Ceballos or Isco, just to give us more control of the midfield. Maybe swap Carvajal or Regulion for Odriozola or Marcelo to have some fresh legs on the wings. I just will say, I don't think Carvajal, we didn't talk enough about him, but I I thought he was immense, and uh, I would not have taken him out for anything. There was a there was a couple breaks where Carvajal went from the you know upper left you know attacking quadrant, sprinted back for the entire way to cut off a three on two break uh, on the bo- on on the uh, uh, defensive right quadrant. It literally the farthest possible way d- the distance you can run on the field. So he was he was immense. I thought so. But yeah, I, I actually think Kian, you made a good point that um. Uh, Marcelo could have been an interesting sub when they needed to turn the the, the focus to attack, and instead it, the Regulon Regulon came off, uh, uh, but not for Marcelo. Yeah, I think. Well, I th- one, from what I gather from what Solari was saying post game was that Marcelo was pretty much not going to play this game. He was just in the squad, but this is like a rest game for him, and he needed rest, and you know he's been out of form. So I, I kind of got it it was like he was going to use him regardless but what but to Zoran's point I think I do think also that the the subs should have came in a bit sooner like I know he had to burn a sub obviously at halftime which it's you know it's probably to me uh, even then in hindsight it shouldn't have been um Christo should have been Isco could have played that role that Christo was playing that half no problem and, and probably have been better could have helped defensively. Could have been better distributed better on the counter attack, but the reaction was a bit too, too late for him because even at halftime you had a sense like it's not inconceivable. Betty's score, and then what? What's your plan? Is there like you had to like have talked about this at halftime? What are you right. going to do when Betty's score? What's your reaction? Do you shift formation? What are you going to do? And it seemed like far too long. Ramjo were treading water, and like I think like it, by the way, I not that I'm, it, I really don't care about it because. Um, but I mean, we can just quickly say that the first of all, Los Celso pass to Canales was great, and Canales scores under Kaler's legs. Um, I think if the very, very technical correct decision, as pointed on Twitter, was like 
Canales was 10 centimeters offside. I don't care. Like, I, I do care, but I don't blame the referee for giving the goal because mm-hmm. even when I was, like, staring at the VAR, like, on the screen, I was like, that's onside. I think that's onside. Like, when it's that close, it's, like, so hard to get it right. And so I, I was okay with it, and I thought it was a goal. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to address that briefly. I, I agree, but the problem is that the referee called them offside. So when it's an impossibly close decision like that, the you should err on the side of having evidence to overturn the referee's decision. So if he made the call that it was offside and then it went to VAR to double check, the VAR has to be very clear that he was offside, that he was onside. And I just don't think that it was clear one way or the other. So you should respect the referee's decision on the field and not overturn it. That's my... That is the way that VAR has always worked for me, and I think that makes the most sense. Um, and here, that it didn't work that way. They they looked at it, and they saw a very close decision, and they said, well, even though it's a really close decision, we're going to go ahead and overturn him anyway. So it's annoying. But mm. what are you going to do? I mean, Carvajal tweeted out <laughs> an image of yeah, the, that's the, one of the play. And like, yeah, it does look like based on that image that he was marginally offside. But Which, like, like, by the way, I was like, I, I didn't even understand. I couldn't decipher that image. There was like a million live lines everywhere. <laughs> I, I honestly want to know the people who create these images. How do you get like your mathematical, like in your all your angles? And like to me, like I'm like, okay, I don't really don't I don't get it. Like, how are you even coming up with these lines? Like, yeah, it, it seems like maybe I'm just really it's just going over my head, and I just don't understand it, which I don't. But like. It's. I don't understand how people like come up with so these. So I, like, I need a. I need a clarification. This is a really basic question, but I always forget this. Does your do your arms count in offside decisions? I believe it's only your lower body. So your right, hips, so, hips, legs. I thought it was torso, um, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe that's what I meant. See, that's what I meant. See, here's torso the thing. It depends because if the torso, like if the arms don't count, I don't think he was offside because I. The way I understood the image, because I think we're, we saw the same one, is they were making the line from from Canales' arms in comparison to the body. And if the arms don't count, then it wasn't offside. Well, I was under the impression that the... Well, you know what? doesn't matter. My, my impression was that it was from his, <laughs> from his shoulder. And I was under the impression that the shoulder is part of the torso. It's mm. that the arms themselves aren't, but the shoulder is. Like, okay. That is that was always my understanding, but uh, you know what? It's also 100 percent possible that I'm full of shit. That's possible. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we can. We should probably double check that because that's a worthwhile thing to understand. Um, now that we're going to be yeah, seeing you know, more of these, football uh, X should probably know. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> we, podcast, we should probably know about that, but fine. So I gave. So then, okay. So then, the arm is not offside. But the shoulder can be right. The torso. I think the torso yeah, is. I think that's the thing, right? Okay. That was that is my gut, but I don't really know. I, are you looking at the image right now? <laughs> well, I'm just looking at the FIFA rules. So you're right. So basically, <laughs> um, the shoulder, I guess, can be. So as you guys put a torso, but like your arm, hand, none of that can be. Okay. Right. So I don't remember if it was his shoulder that was outside, but I trust you, Gabe. Yeah. All right. Well, I, so I Keon, also, yeah. Again, I could be full of shit with this though. Um, hey, Keon, what were you saying? You were saying something before. I, God knows, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, my my brain is fried right now. Right. So I would, oh I, the subs like yeah I I thought yeah. Solari should have reacted a bit quicker and I, and just to get the team out of their half and without sacrificing their shape necessarily. But I thought 
I knew it. It just felt like the goal was coming, and if it, it, it really felt like they didn't have that talk at halftime. Like, okay, if Betty score, what do we do? It, it yeah. felt like there was no direction afterwards. So I would say I would agree that I think Isco should have been subbed on instead of Cristo because, you know, he's simply better suited. He's world class, but we know there's issues between the two that are probably not going to be resolved. Um, but this, aside from that, I don't know if it was decided that Marcelo was not going to come on no matter what. I don't know what other subs could have created changes because I think with Benzema going off, our issues were tactical. And that being our inability to get out of a counter-press and press in a collective manner. Um, and when that's the case, I mean, you can only make subs where individuals improve it. And there's really only two players um, available that would have done that. And that's Isco and Marcelo. And Isco is really the only one I felt that would have made a huge difference. Maybe you could have also brought on Ceballos. Um, but other than that, I think it was just how it was going to be. And we need we need to find a way to counterattack, you know, with with the guys we had. And if, if it was the case that Marcelo couldn't come on, I, I don't know how much any other subs would have done. Thomas Berg asks us... Um... Wasn't all good. I shat my pants in the second half. <laughs> I didn't like the tactic swapping and the aspect that it didn't seem all players understood the formation switches. But this game was something. Solari had a tactile idea that worked well in the first half, and then in the second half, when it didn't, he actually tried to change things around. And the players showed good attitude. But what now? The schedule ahead is frightening. Please get, discuss the pluses and minuses of the 3-5-2 for this tough stretch of games. What do you see Solari going for? Also, when are injured players expected back? Maybe an article on that? Yeah, I mean, we'll have an article talking about that, so we don't need to talk about that now. Um, yeah, I like this quite. What, what about the... Do you see him rolling this formation out again at, at, at some point in the next weeks or so? In the immediate future, possibly. Um, but he, even he said in the post game, like, this is not a thing we're going to see. It's more of a makeshift thing because of the injuries and stuff. Um Lucas Vasquez will be back next uh, game. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I love Lucas Vasquez. That that UG was only because I'm worried that it's going to take the spot of someone that um, I really want to keep seeing more of, like Vinicius. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I my hunch is we won't see it much. I again, I like it. I think in the right context, the right the right situation, it, it it's a very useful tool. I, I'd be surprised if we see it again. But if we do see it again, it's probably in the immediate future or, or very rare moments where you go into a tough away stadium with a team that really can hurt you if they have space. Yeah. Yeah, so I I agree with all of that. Um, when, when I mean, I don't know if this is what you're saying, Keon, but when you said specific instances, I specifically think of a game like this where... Um, we're, we're thinking of facing five attackers all, all in those vertical lines. We want to match them numerically. And we're thinking about, you know, living off the counterattack. I think in the context of, of Solari's tactics and the current personnel, um, I think that's what we should go for. But if we're looking to a game where we're going to have to have most of the ball and create, I'd rather we go back to having three attackers up front. Um, I'm... Like, for example, Atletico Madrid is coming up in mid-Feb. I don't want to see us run out of 5-3-2 versus Atletico Madrid. But Sevilla, which is coming after the Leganes game, I don't know. It might be worth talking about it, though Sevilla doesn't 
play in the same way Betis does. They're a lot more direct, um, and they're actually a better pressing side. So we'll see. I mean, we're probably not going to see it a lot more. And I don't think it would be too sad of a thing not to see it anymore because I think it only works in really specific instances, like I mentioned. Well, to me, Real Madrid will be at their best when they have at least three really dangerous attackers. And Bale will be back soon, I think. So uh, I I don't think we'll see it against Sevilla. I, I really don't. Because I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, especially if, if, if Vinicius, based on merit, starts games now and Bale comes back and Solari wants Bale in there and you have Bale, Vinicius, Benzema, which is kind of fun to think about, I guess. Um, I think you have to roll with, with three. It's For me, it's like really hard. I, I think you have to squeeze in at least three attackers to have a mm-hmm. consistent kind of goal-scoring goal funnel. And and when Asensio and Lucas comes back, we just have too many oh, yeah, wide Lucas, players yeah. to like to to go with this formation like going forward. Solari I, I'm loves glad his width. That, I, yeah, and I'm glad Solari said that after the press conference because to me that shows, you know, he wasn't too taken by the result. And he's you know, he, he, he has a good good idea of what the squad looks like right now and what his plans are. And given that he looked rather clueless in a lot of games, like just didn't seem to know how he was switching things up. You know, I'm, I'm glad for that. It's, it's a big improvement upon what we're seeing. I mean, not to say we'll go and win every single game from now on. We'll beat Sevilla and all of that, but this, this was a good day for Solari all around. Uh, all right. Question from Sajid Reyes. He says, um, I still can't believe I was watching Real Madrid play against Betis and see us being dominated from start to finish like that. It's pretty evident that Solari changed his tactics to make sure that Isco doesn't fit into the lineup and rubbed further salt into the rooms by bringing on Cristo and Brahim Diaz ahead of him. Do you guys still not think that he is comprising the club with his personal issues with a player? Ceballos just scored a free kick. Talk about having all the luck in the world. So, first of all, we, we've been pretty clear that we don't like the way Solari's treating Isco. I mean, Gabe, you and I in the previous podcast um, where we really slammed Solari, part of our talking point, um, I think I said this, I don't want a manager that can't make use of you know, right. one of our best players. I mean, I think he's our most creative player, and it's just not... I mean, you have to be able... Like, a huge talking point with Emery at Arsenal is that Emery's not making use of Ozil. He's not finding a way to fit Ozil into his system. And at the end of the day, that's that's just bad. He needs to find a way to fit his best player into the side. Right. And Isco maybe not our best player, but he's definitely our best um, attacking midfielder, our most creative player. And I think in a lot of games where we struggled against pressing, blah, 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 where we couldn't create, Isco would have helped us. So, I, I mean, we are not defending Solari on this. We just haven't seen the point of constantly talking about it over and over again because we don't have anything new to say. I have nothing to add to that. No, it's I mean every every week, every podcast it's 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 getting it's a bit much, but I will say like I think we've we've touched on everything in this question in particular what you know we both we all thought I think Isco should have came in instead of Cristo. Um I I will say and I've said this on Twitter and I'm oh I just want to reiterate 
the three five two really wasn't a shift because he's just had not no, fit in Isco. Yeah. It had nothing, not not nothing to do with it. Isco can play in this formation. Isco could have just played instead of Fede Valverde. Like you know what I mean? It's really easy to do that. <laughs> so separate the three five two and like oh he changed the formation just to leave out Isco. If he wanted to leave out Isco, he would have he he would yeah. have left him out regardless. Four three 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 five two whatever. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. So. Last question here from Christopher McCormick. Um, he says, a lot of shade has been thrown at Papa Flo over the last two weeks from both fans and journalists claiming that he is the problem at Madrid. I was wondering what you guys thought about the criticism he has faced and if you think he's the right man for the job. I personally have always been skeptical of blaming one person for a team's problems. And I think everyone has the players to uh, has the player from the players to Perez share a piece of the blame for the poor season. I've also found that fans who criticize Perez also think want Ramon Calderon back, a man who I'd only trust as far as I could throw him. Totally agree. Calderon's a fucking snake. Those fans who want Ramon Calderon back, I will never... paid by Ramon Calderon. That's the only thing I can explain to understand that. They have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) I usually don't judge fans and like say you're not a fan of the club (laughs) and you are, but those who want Ramon Calderon back are not fans of the club. I will not accept. They're not... I agree with that. Yeah. um, So I have like... I can address like the transfer side of it because I mean, really that's why people are really mad right now. I don't know if you guys had other points you wanted to talk about, like just in general, like just give like a quick summary of like financial things he does or anything like that. I think that anyone who doesn't, who wants him out or whatever is someone who's uneducated about the the business aspects of the club. And that is, not even the most important thing that he's done. I mean, it's insane to say you want the the president of the club of a club that just won three Champions Leagues in a row to to, to be fired. It's just, I don't, I don't know, how, I don't know what else to say. Like this, <laughs> it's crazy. It's an insane, crazy talk. So we can you know, actually the business stuff. He's like... the best in the game at what he does with the business. Like you rarely see Madrid involved in any of these uh, stories about financial fair play cheating. Like. Because Madrid actually is a really healthy club. Like they're financially really, really healthy. I mean, they're doing this huge renovation of the stadium because they have the money to do it, but they're gonna do it with money that they're you know, they're by slightly increasing their debt profile and still then have ability to to pay for players. I mean, this is it's I know, it's it's nonsense. So Keon, I don't know, you go ahead. Well you know, Keon, just... you're writing sort of writing about it, um, almost so I mean we were, I mean, we were, uh, kind of touch on this often through on social media, but through through um, through articles, through podcasts, we've talked about it on the podcast. You and I have talked about it. Om and I have talked about it. Om put out a Twitter thread about it. Like we, you can actually go through it and look at his options. And like everyone is like, why didn't we sign Lewandowski? Lewandowski because Bayern didn't want to sell. Why? Yeah. Why didn't we? Um, sign Hazard because he's going to be over 200 million and it's a marginal upgrade at a position you don't need. Um, why yeah, that was what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, like, so you can, oh, like, you can, like, finish the list, but it's, like, really was not easy. I, even retain, like, and then, and then the rebuttal is, um, well, why did we sell Ronaldo if we can't replace him? Because even retaining him was not easy and probably not feasible because, A, Mendes said Ronaldo had made up his mind back in January. And B, Florentino was not gonna bend, you know, bend over and pay his taxes. And like, I think that was the right decision. Yeah, I, I think this is a lot of people don't seem to. 
I, I mean, it, it honestly wasn't reported a lot, so I don't blame people. But one of the things Ronaldo wanted us to do for, for him to stay, like to, to for us to show his loyalty to him or whatever, is to pay off the taxes that he cheated on from the Spanish government. And I don't know in what world a club should be bending to a player's will to do that. Like, I I mean, you're a pretty hardcore Ronaldo fanboy if you yeah, want that's to be crazy. Like, that's, there's just no way that we in could a, do that. In a normal situation, the employer of the tax sheet would fire the employee. You know, <laughs> not like, not I, that the employer covers the employee's, you know... But, massive tax fraud debt i just don't know what to say i mean we call it tax fraud but like what we're talking about is a crime like we want real madrid to pay for a crime that ronaldo committed that wasn't in any way associated with real madrid that doesn't make any sense so like if that was such a huge sticking point in ronaldo feeling like real madrid were disloyal to him i don't see how any way we could fix that i mean that's just how it is and so and here's the thing i think you can criticize none of us are saying you can't criticize some of the decisions florentino perez is making i think just if you're looking at it in a holistic sense, he's he's a net positive. And so, I so like some things you can criticize. I don't know if, how you guys feel about this, but I, I feel like the Hamas Rodriguez deal with Bayern was a bad deal. You know, we gave him, we let Bayern have him for two years and then have the option to buy him for a very cheap amount of money. I think we should have just, if we were, if we were going to lose him like that, we should have just sold him for a lot more. Um, I think the decision to sack Lopetegui while not being 100% certain that we could get anyone better than Solari, was a bad decision. Yeah, I think the decision to sack Ancelotti was a bad decision, and we got lucky that Zidane came in and saved our asses. But some of the criticism are just bonkers. Like, I'll go through, like, the thread I made. So, people's, like, like Keon said, people are like, why didn't we buy Lewandowski? In, in no uncertain terms, Bayern Munich told us to fuck off. We're not getting Robert Lewandowski. They just weren't going to sell him. And Bayern has is one of the clubs that has the power to be able to do that. So then people say, why didn't we get Higuain? Well, Higuain was necessary for a swap deal with Bonucci for, for AC Milan. And if you look at Higuain's numbers now, you know people would be furious if Higuain was producing those numbers at Real Madrid. I mean, they're not horrible, but it's pretty clear the man is on a decline. Kane signed a new contract with Tottenham. Um, Pochettino was clearly staying there for another year. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how much we would have. We'd have to pay like four hundred million to get him after signing a new contract. This is more of a signing we have to make down the road. Kane at the moment believes in the Tottenham project. If Pochettino leaves next summer, we'll see. But he wasn't a real option. Then people talked about Icardi because there were a lot of rumors in the summer. There was slight flirting with Icardi. It seemed like we were really interested. And then Icardi said pretty clearly, no, I don't want to leave. Because Inter had made the Champions League and they reinforced very well. They bought Nainggolan. They bought Versailles from, from Atletico Madrid. They bought Keira Balde. They bought Stefan de Vrij. They bought Cuadro Asamoah. So Icardi at the moment, or at least at the time, believed in the project. Now there's rumors that He's not going to sign a contract, blah, blah, blah. So he may be possible this summer, but he wasn't last. You know, Cavani was probably the most realistic of all the options people were talking about. But every report I saw said Cavani refused to agitate for a move. And, you know, that's that doesn't mean he didn't want to come. But when you don't have a player pushing for to come to your team on that side, it's really difficult. And then Tuchel came in and replaced Emery and said, Cavani was going to be a key centerpiece of my side, and I don't want him to leave. 
So, I mean, just it's just a lazy take that Real Madrid got rid of Ronaldo and they're like, oh, we don't need to replace our greatest ever goal scorer, no problem. Like the best options that anyone mentioned were Timo Werner and Anthony Martial. And they may still go go, go get Timo Werner this this winter. I mean, that's I've we've been seeing some rumblings about that, and I mean, I don't know. I like, would be happy with that signing, but so like, and the thing was like with, I mean, Timo Werner, Martial, people mentioned Iago Aspas. I mean, we bought Mariano, so that wouldn't have been as necessary. But once you start getting to those names, we're no longer talking about elite players. In when we're talking about Werner and Martial, we're we're talking about players with a lot of potential. In Martial's case, he hasn't played as a striker for a while. I personally believe that he can still play there, and that's his best position. But not a lot. Of, I mean, most Madrid fans like. They haven't mentioned him. They didn't put him on the radar. Werner was really the only one. And his numbers weren't spectacular last season. He's much better this season. We'll have to see about that. But you're talking about one guy. And then after that, it's Iago Aspas. It's Pablo Sarabia. Like, we're no longer talking elite options. We're talking good backup options. And we ended up getting Mariano, who scored almost as many goals as Aspas last season. So it it just wasn't there. If all you're looking at is Werner as really the only close to elite option. And then the likes of Aspas, Mariano, Sarabia, Sarabia, who's not even a striker. What options are you telling me? Now, I've had people say, we are Real Madrid, we can get whoever we want if we really want to. I mean, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. That's not how the real world works. That's not how transfer policy works. The market has to be there. And unfortunately, not every single player in the entire world wants to play for Real Madrid at the present moment. You know, we're, we're not that big of a club. I mean, we're a big club, we're a huge club, but we're not that big. And sometimes we just have to sit back and sit back and accept the reality of the transfer market. And that's hard for us because we've gotten almost everyone we've ever wanted. But in the one window where we haven't, we've lost our minds. And I think we just need to calm down a little bit. I mean, even Rodrigo Moreno, who's a player that I really like. Um, he's been horrible this season. He's been, And people he's, wanted him. Well, not only has he not been good this season, but... He would have been almost ninety million, and so like even that, like the board has to look at that and be like, "Are we going to spend ninety million on the player who's not even a sure thing, um, or just roll it out with Benzema?" Like I, I can I can justify not spending ninety million on Rodrigo. Like it's this stuff. Like yeah. like when you go down the list and you present these options to people, it's like. You either see it or you don't. Like you can, you some people have already made up, made up their mind. Like no, no, I you, they should have signed Mbappe and Neymar. Like mm-hmm. okay, great, <laughs> but like it's just not possible sometimes. That I mean, that's the market. And, and the thing is, PSG and Man City signing a million players is also skewed expectations. Unfortunately, even though we're one of the richest clubs in the world, we actually have financial restrictions. We don't have an entire country funding our operations so we can't spend 500 million with like another billion under the table to sign Maybar and give his dad like 10 free orgies like it i mean we operate under certain limitations and the limitations are actually growing i mean florentino complained about this the la liga chief complained about this like that what psg was doing was creating unrealistic inflation in the market and they can do it because as like the football leaks report, I mean, we already knew this, but the football leaks just confirmed that they have an entire state funding in huge amounts of money, an unlimited supply 
to inflate the market to a point where a super club like Real Madrid has to look at their options and be like, some things aren't realistic. Again, it, this is a very hard pill to swallow, but in a market which is very thin, that's the reality. And we just have to accept it. I mean, the market will open up when it opens up. And I think it will be more open this summer, maybe even this winter. But I mean, we just, I mean, I, I, just look at it logically and then just calm. I'm like, that's all, that's all I can say. Yeah. All right. That is your show for this week. We'll be back. We have our loan tracker and, uh, 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 our Castilla podcast coming up this week. Also, obviously, our midweek show where we'll be discussing the Copa del Rey clash against Leganes um, on Wednesday. So, uh, everyone, look out for that. That's on the way. And uh, until next week, then, guys. Uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. A la Madrid.